0: This is the Bushwick Variety Show, and I'm Alec III. Greetings, neighbors, friends, citizens of the world, and conscious beings of all various types. Thank you so much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. This episode features Emily White. I've been looking forward to releasing this episode for quite a while. I actually met Emily through this podcast. She reached out to me as the Public Coordinations Director at the Public Theater, And invited me to collaborate with her in the public on a podcast episode about Richard II, the radio play, um, which was in the place of Richard II, Shakespeare in the Park. We couldn't do Shakespeare in the Park this year because there was a global pandemic. Um, By this year, I mean 2020. We are now in 2021, by the way. We are in a new reality Um, there was a not so peaceful transition of power, but it looks like we are on the other side of that. We are about, we are almost, yeah, all the way through January of 2021. So now we have, uh, new opportunities. We have kind of a, a fresh start. Um, and we, we have time to go forward. Now, a lot of theaters in New York, around the world, a lot of, uh, A lot of live performance is really suffering right now, so to keep the lights on, the public theater did have to go down to a skeleton crew, um, and they had to furlough Emily um, and a lot of other people, Um, so unfortunately, you know, we're all just kind of waiting and holding on and doing our best, Um, but we're making the most of it, and the silver lining for Emily is that she also has a lot of other projects that she's involved with that she didn't really have time to work on as much before. Um, So we talked a lot about those different projects that she's working on. So one of those projects that she's working on is called six shooter. um, And that's a play dealing with violence in America um, and exploring that through the lens of the Western trope. As we were talking about it in this podcast, uh, there was another podcast that was mentioned that was originally going to be where you could find that radio play. Um, Since we talked, this conversation was actually a few months ago. And since then, a lot of things have changed and evolved. So the new podcast that it's going to be, a segment of it is going to be presented on is artist We Fucks With, which is the people from the Bauman Center, which is actually another Bushwick-based theater company. It is a company that I did not know about before, um, but I will be talking with on this podcast sometime coming up, um, as well as uh, some of the other people involved with the six-shooter production. One of my highlights of 2020 was definitely getting to work with Emily White and the Public Theater. So if you want to check that out, check out episode 96, uh, as well as episode 100, which featured Jessica Blank and Eric Jensen, which would not have happened if Emily hadn't reached out to me. And as exciting as those episodes and projects were, there are lots of exciting projects that Emily White is currently working on. Um, Six Shooter is one of them. Uh, We talk about the others, and we talk about life in general in New York. And stick around to the end. Um, No spoilers, but there's something at the end I want to share with you. But right now, this is Emily White. Let's have a conversation. Hey. Hey, how are you?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: Real good. Real good. Um, Where are you uh, calling in from today?
2: Um, I'm in my apartment in Harlem.
0: Nice. Um, I realized like a few, several Zoom conversations and um, even people based in New York aren't necessarily in New York during this period of time. So, yeah.
2: Yeah, everybody's all over the place, but I have spent pretty much all of this quarantine except for like one week in my apartment in Harlem.
0: Yeah, Uh, where were you for the one week?
2: I went to Boston to visit my parents.
0: Nice. Yeah. I also had to go to Seattle for about uh, 10 days. Um, yeah. My stepdad got injured, so I had to help out with that. I'm
2: so sorry. Yeah.
0: He's doing better. So Good. good. Um, and I wouldn't have gone if I didn't have to. Like, I wouldn't have hopped on a plane during this period of time. Um, yeah.
2: That's a big part of why I haven't gone anywhere.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm so uh so what are you up to these days
2: uh it's a weird weird time (laughs) because i spent the first half of quarantine working at the public still um and actually the project that we did together with the podcast was like the very last thing i did before i went on furlough um so there was like this mad dash to the end and then um i was like oh what do I do now? Uh, And so I picked up three different freelance projects of things that I've been wanting to work on for a while. Other things that kind of like came to me at the right time. Um, But so yeah, I've been focusing a lot on my freelance dramaturgy work.
0: Mm -hmm. And And before the furlough, like how much, like did it take up all of your time at the public or like, Did you have downtime? Like, what was kind of it like before?
2: Well, I was definitely still doing the freelance dramaturgy work, but it was, like, very difficult to focus on it because things were so crazy just trying to, like, keep the ship afloat over there, Um, especially when we didn't know where things were going we didn't have answers of how long things were were going to be shut down so we were like okay let's prepare for when we're back and then it the conversation shifted a few months in and it was like oh this is the new normal and this is now how we're running things and things got a little bit more um uh like solidified mm-hmm. i guess i don't know um i think and- it's still changing every day too
0: yeah um is the furlough like an indefinite timeline or is there like a plan and i know everything is kind of indefinite at the moment um because we don't know when the next like normal is kind of gonna happen like we're kind of not gonna be on solid ground for the foreseeable future you know
2: Yeah. Honestly, I have no idea. Um, we have like a current date of return, but it could change. It could be earlier than that. It could be later than that. It could be different for different people. Um, depending on what the needs are, they'll bring back different people at different times. So right now I'm just waiting to see what happens. And
0: yeah. And And I saw, um, about a month after that, uh, Sahim Ali actually became co-artistic director. Was that like? Did that was that kind of planned on happening before, or was that kind of all in this new time where things are just shifting?
2: I honestly have no idea. It got announced after I had been on furlough for a while, so mm-hmm. I don't know if it was something that had been in the works for a long time or something that had just happened really quickly. Um, yeah, I really don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and so uh, so, what are the projects you're excited about right now?
2: Yeah, so I'm working on three different new works that are all kind of in different phases of development, which is a weird, it's been a really interesting process to try and create work um, all over Zoom. Um, but one we just announced uh, was, is called Little Black Book it's a musical about heidi fleiss who i don't know if you are familiar with her but i know the
0: name can you remind me
2: yeah so in the 90s she was this very successful madam uh she ran this Uh, really high level uh in
1: california
2: yeah in la and she made millions and millions of dollars and then all of a sudden she got arrested for tax fraud and all of her rich entitled male clients kind of threw her under the bus and she took the fall for a lot and so she went from like living the high life to like falling totally from the top to the bottom and this is a musical of her kind of telling her life story in cabaret style with her backup singers are her pet parrots she has like 45 parrots or something crazy like that um and so it's just kind of a musical about a woman living in isolation and trying to reclaim her identity uh, when everybody has tried to take it from her. Um, and it's the music and book and lyrics are all by Billy Reese, and it's directed by Will Ziada. And the choreography, When We Can Get in a Room, is gonna be by Rachel Bertone. Um, and that one has been fun because I got. Hold on to it um, after the script had been finished. So it was really like traditional. Like here's the script, here's the music, let's go.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and actually, collaborating with these people, I- I'm actually collaborating with some of these people on another one of the projects too. So it's all interconnected. Um, nice.
0: Um, so then this one will be like a mute. This one is intended to be done on a stage. Um, nice. Yeah. Are there and- Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, um, are there like table readings happening for this one already, or like, because that's like something I think probably after COVID is going to become more of a norm where table reads. I mean, if everybody's in New York, of course you'd probably do that in person, but yeah, you can do especially plays that just like as a playwright you want to hear read um the norm is just do it over zoom because you can kind of get everybody anywhere to dial in and it's not you know it's never the same as being in the room but as far as like hearing the words out loud um i found it super useful like for some things i've been writing um that i've heard a lot of them I've heard a lot of them out loud as I've been writing because, um, yeah, so yeah, are are there like table readings for this project or kind of what?
2: So we haven't done one of this current version of the script, but I think we will do a Zoom reading of it. Um, I have done a Zoom reading of one of the other pieces that I'm working on, and it was like It was really helpful to hear it out loud. I'm a big fan of these Zoom readings because you're right, they're really easy to put together. Everybody can be in their own home. Um, It's very weird and strange. I'm not used to it. Um, I'm very much an in the room kind of person, but you're right. I think this might be something that we keep from this period going forward. Um, We'll see. I think we're probably gonna have a Zoom reading sometime later this month or next. I'm not sure yet um it'll just depend on how things go i mean i think another model that is interesting to me too is like filmed theater with no audience Mm -hmm. um i think they're doing something like that for diana on netflix um where they're going to film it and it's like a small production and then they're just going to put it online um that's weird to me too because is it theater then or is it a movie i don't know
0: yeah i feel (laughs) I feel like it's like um like the line um mm-hmm. at public like I don't cons- like it's not theater in the traditional sense but I also don't consider it film like I think it's kind of its own it's its own new thing um and then I also think it's interesting as far as development the idea of kind of you could develop like I mean time resources money all of that but like you can kind of develop plays a little bit more and maybe film them and then if you're trying to get like another theater to like collaborate with you in producing um you have kind of more of a developed project to actually show them um so yeah there's like a lot of yeah,
2: And that's um, one of the things I've also been exploring for uh, like readings development and also to have like a concrete sort of um, product to show people, you know, like after, <laughs> theoretically after this is all over, hopefully we all have something to show for it. And these recorded readings are something that could be really useful for both us as creators and then actors that we hire. Um So one one venue we're exploring for another project I'm working on, which is called Six Shooter, uh, is actually doing a radio play version of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've worked on a a couple radio plays. I used to direct um, a few radio plays that were recorded live with an actual physical audience and then turned into a podcast later. So this will be kind of like a fully digital version of that where we've recorded all on Zoom, we rehearse all on Zoom and then it goes on to a podcast. sometime in October.
0: Nice. Um, so that kind be of interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what's your role in the different, in these different projects? And yeah, how do you, how are you approaching those and yeah.
2: Yeah, I guess I should just give you the lowdown on all of the things. I don't know, I never know how to like explain them all because they're all so different. Mm-hmm. Um, so for Little Black Book, I'm the dramaturg, um, really just in a script development capacity, very tradi- traditional dramaturgy role, uh, as you might think about it. And then um, in Six Shooter, which is a completely devised piece, which I've been working on with uh, several other collaborators for about, I guess it's like a, it's been about a year now that we've been developing it. Um, and I'm equal co-creators with everybody in the project. So there's, um, about four of us who are, uh, writers. And then in total, it's a team of seven people who are creating generative, generating content and continuing to research and, you know, rip our script apart and put it back together again. And we're actually looking to get even more people in on the process. So this is one of those where it's like everybody has every hat. So I can't say. I'm one thing or the other, which is nice. I've been, I've done some acting in it. I'm hopefully gonna be doing some directing for the radio play version of it. Um, I've done some writing. Um, Yeah, it's been really fun. We've done like a lot of like filmed improvs that we're transcribing and turning into scenes. Um, We did that before COVID, obviously. We can't Mm -hmm. be in the room together right now. And it's been really cool to work with all these people because now we're all kind of spread out across the country. Um, We all were New York based at one point, but now there's one person in Colorado, there's another person in Connecticut, you know, we're hopefully going to be bringing in people from everywhere as far as we can. Um, So that project's really exciting because right now we have this opportunity to bring in so many more voices than we could have if it was just Uh, normal times Mm -hmm. Um, and what's the
0: what's that one kind of like about
2: so six shooter started out as it's really evolved over time it's it's a piece that explores gun violence in America through the lens of the classic uh, cowboy Western Uh Um, so kind of deconstructing all of the tropes and Uh, stereotypical images that have kind of permeated our media since the beginning of uh, film and TV as we know it. Um, The first real movie was a Western movie. So we've had a, a lot of our images of guns through the media have come through the cowboy Western lens. So we're kind of deconstructing that, taking it apart and, um, reframing it in a modern context.
1: Mm -hmm. Nice. So We have
2: one part that's actually just a true Western movie. And then we have another part where it's actually the people filming the movie. And it's all about like the different layers of um, reality and like trying to put the audience a little bit like on edge of where are we, when are we and, and what the true cost of violence is rather than just, you know, watching a Western and seeing people like fake die on screen. Like there are actually consequences to having guns and violence. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that name is great also because that's kind of where my mind went. I think six shooter, probably the first thing is Western. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, my question was, like, school shootings was kind of the next thing that popped in my head. So, at least on me, um, that name uh, evokes what is being explored. Um, (laughs) And, and, uh, yeah, I think that's also interesting because I think about the gun issue all the time. And, like, basically yeah i think i i understand well first of all nobody needs to have um war guns like guns that are made for like mass violence um i understand hunting and like the complicated conversations around that because like hunting responsibly i do think is better than um the mass like industrial meat system that we have like the factory totally um and so for that I understand um and I also aside from like racism um I think like you know when I think of like different eras to live in I think like the cowboy genre I would love to like live in that a little bit but the problem is like and this is why I've never owned a gun as an adult, is because there is sort of a part of me that is very much a cowboy type person as far as like how I interact with people. Um, I don't pick fights, but I also like have a tongue like on me, like when you know certain lines are crossed and it doesn't matter how big the person is, like how much mm-hmm. bigger they are. Like I am, I can be very stubborn. And so I think if I had a gun, like, and I was walking around with a gun, I don't think that that would be a good thing for me to have in those situations. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like there's like in Seattle where I'm from, it's more of an open carry thing. There is more gun violence. And I, I grew up around it, like to where it's like, and and aware of that, like, I've always been aware of those conversations that I have with people in Seattle. Like, I don't know if this person I'm, I have, I'm talking to has a gun and might get mad and like, shoot me. Um, and on the flip side, like I said, I don't think it's a good idea. Like that kind of power needs to be respected. And yeah, I think ultimately is dangerous. Like when people, irrational human beings and then you have this thing that can just end a life in a second you know
2: yeah and i think that was one of one of the interest i would say one of the most interesting experiences of working on this project throughout the past year i think for for the group but definitely for me was just a total uh like realization of the nuances of yeah. of gun ownership in a way that i don't think us as you know, lefty liberal New York uh, theater people really thought about. Um, I think we all went on this project with this uh, idea of like guns are bad uh, and we need to explore why people like them so much. I don't know. We were trying to explore like what it is about our culture that is so tied to this like, you know, idealization of the good guy with the gun, which is essentially the cowboy myth. And I think we we all started to realize that it was a lot more nuanced of an issue than we um, than most of us intended. Most of us didn't have a lot of experience with guns going into the project,
0: mm-hmm. um,
2: and you know, especially recently, we've been doing a lot of research and thinking about like the Black Panther movement
1: yep. and how um, that,
2: yeah, all, like the you know the gun regulation laws that we think of now were kind of you know spurred from white conservatives being feeling threatened by black panther members who were trying to defend themselves uh and you know now that conversation is coming up again as you know things continue to be really sticky
0: and Um, yeah and again mm -hmm. that's also something i've been thinking about a lot like and very much like um grew up kind of studying the Black Panthers, knew a former Black Panther from Seattle, and, like, um, ultimately, that guy kind of guided me, uh, like, in a different direction, um, like, was saying the the price that, like, the Panthers played, including his family, because this is Michael Dixon and his brother is Aaron Dixon, who was in Seattle, one of those guys who was... Um, in prison for like over 20 years, like maybe 20 or 30 years. Um, He's out now, but kind of just, yeah, the price that those guys paid um, for doing a lot of, like bringing up a lot of good conversations and actually starting a lot of very important programs. Um, And those programs were also the real reason why they were vilified, Um, but the guns was the thing that put the targets on their back. But um, I still feel like there is a target on a lot of people's backs right now. Um, And so there's another conversation going on also, I don't know if you're aware of this, but of black people legally getting licensed and carrying guns. so that then maybe the government will clamp down on, like, making it harder for people to get guns. So it's kind of like a reverse engineering
2: thing. Wow. I, so, I hadn't heard about that, but that makes total sense given the history and where we're at right now. Um, and then also- crazy. War,
0: yeah, and then also if World War III breaks out after November, like, it is scary, like,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: should I like you know what I mean like should I be protected I don't think it actually ultimately protects you but I you know yeah so it's nuanced
2: yeah and I think this time period has been like a really like shining the spotlight on this issue in a way that I don't think would have happened if like things didn't happen this way I'm thinking like about the open carry protests against wearing masks, like the fact that those things got connected to me feels like ridiculous and also so American at the same time. Yeah. And like, when you really boil it down, it's like, this is such an integral part of our culture that we're not just gonna like get past it by making some new laws. It's really gonna, it's really like a culturally ingrained thing. And right now, I think people are yeah more terrified than ever for good reason um and I've been hearing a lot of a lot of people who I think would normally consider themselves like very anti gun pro gun control considering buying a gun for protection
1: yeah like i
0: I probably yeah, oscillate thoughts on that like I haven't gone out and done it, so that's where my thoughts are ultimately, but I do think about it a lot. Um, Something else I was going to say about that. Uh, Nope. Lost that. Lost that thought. Um,
2: Well, one thing I will say that I think the reason why we're doing this as a play and not like as a movie or, um, some other medium is i think because we get so many images on the media of guns from all sides it's like pro-gun anti-gun we're all seeing images we're all seeing a lot of violence in movies and it's all really desensitizing so i think the hope is that this would never be a play that would not be done live
0: okay yeah
2: because it's something about the seeing the violence in front of you in a way that's not like ridiculously uh, like skimmed over I think is the message that we want to show people and honestly I don't think that that we're like even at that part of the writing process yet Um, but you know I think all of us were like oh man like are we should we do theater right now like is this is this the right play to be doing right now? And is, is, it, is it the right time to do any play right now? But I think the more that we're getting these media messages and the more that people are just consuming content and TV all day long, it feels like important to me that this piece has to be done live one day.
0: Yeah, um, and I, during this period of time, have kind of come... To the conclusion like that yes, um it's necessary to do like tough, challenging theater in these times, um and that that's to me like there's different types of theater, but that's ultimately the type of theater that I want to do and believe in um is like theater for change, um theater holding up a mirror to society, hopefully to like spark conversation, spark thought, um, Mm -hmm. and hopefully ultimately change. Um, Yeah, Uh, yeah. and the other, yeah, the one soapboxy thing that I will say about the guns because I think it was, I don't know if it was before Trump was was elected or after, um, but at the restaurant I was working at, I was, one of my coworkers, um was having a conversation with a guy. It was like pretty empty at the time. And I'm kind of like eavesdropping. And my coworker was kind of being diplomatic with him. And I, I was too, but he was straight up a gun rights guy. Um and I went to school like in Virginia. So I met a lot of people and that was good for me to go to school with people much different from Seattle where I come from. Um, And basically the question that I asked him and did not get an answer on, which I think ultimately, I don't think there's an argument against it. I mean, I, I, I've heard the arguments, but it's like not an argument based on like reason is that when you're 16 years old in most states, I think every state now, 16, um, you can legally drive a car If you take driver's ed, pass a written test and, uh, you know, actual driving test without that, you don't get a license. Like if, and if you don't pass those tests, you don't get your license. Um, and if you drive a car and get caught without a license, you're in really big trouble. And so my thing is like with like guns, at least you should have to go through a process similar to what you have to do to drive a car. Um, And so for like the people who are like totally pro gun rights, usually talk about responsible gun right ownership. So I think there should be something like, I understand that everybody's going to be, you're still going to have drivers that aren't as responsible, but in the least to get the license, you have to like pass basic knowledge, skills, and safety tests. Um, And I don't think there's a, I don't, I've never heard an argument, like a reasonable logic-based argument against that, you know?
2: Yeah, I totally agree because isn't the argument like, you should get a license to drive a car because cars can be really dangerous and they cause a lot of deaths? Yeah. So isn't that the same as a gun?
0: And then also on that, um, talking about like the different types of guns, mm-hmm. um, I can't, even though I have a license, um, at one point in between jobs, I actually went and got like the TLC license and drove Uber for like a few months. <laughs> um, cause in New York, that's a whole, whole process, um, so even with that extra stuff and extra safety classes involved in just driving an Uber, which is like mm-hmm. the same, um, it's the same class of car as like a regular car. You still have to go through extensive like training, which is good because mm-hmm. if people are driving people around, they should have to go through more. You know, you, you're taking other people's lives in your hands. Um, but that said... I can't drive a semi truck. I need a special special training and license to like get that. So I just think like, it's a good analogy. I don't even know if it's enough, but it's like better than what we have. We don't even have that right now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, was, I feel like that would be like saying, oh, because I can ride a bike, I could ride a motorcycle. Right. Like, obviously not. I would crash and burn if I tried to drive a motorcycle because I've never even been on one. Um, yeah. but I know how to ride a bike. So yeah, I, I totally agree with you.
0: Yep. Um, um and so this one, so as like a piece, yeah. you're going to do it as a, also as a radio play now, was that the idea?
2: So our next like developmental, right. uh, m- like milestone or, or opportunity that we have is we are going to, um, go on this podcast called invited dress Um, I don't know if you've heard about this podcast, but basically they have new playwrights come on with uh, like a 20 to 30 minutes of a new piece and they do it as a radio play. And then they do an interview with like the director or playwright, whoever is involved. Um, So it's both an opportunity for us to like, see how the piece works as a radio play and get some feedback. Um, So it's like a, it like a work in prog, prog work in progress sort of thing.
0: Kind of a workshop, um, like a, yeah, kind of a workshop. Yeah, it's a
2: workshop performance, but it's all digital.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, hold on, I'm gonna get my barking ass dogs inside. <laughs> no problem. Aussie, come here.
1: Come <laughs> on. Come on. Come on. Thank you.
0: Sorry about that. No worries. Um it's like
2: the work from home struggle
0: <laughs> Yeah. Um and I'm super grateful like I have a small backyard so sometimes oh, nice. let them run um but then that's the the risk is the cat, the neighboring cats and squirrels. Oh. <laughs> and possums. Oh I wow. Should. Yeah.
2: Are you in New York right now?
0: Yeah, I'm in Brooklyn in Bushwick. Oh, nice.
2: Wow, in there's a lot. backyard. Look at you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's um, amazing. And there's a lot of wildlife in Bushwick.
2: Yeah.
0: Um uh yeah, but that's that's something I think I'm really excited about this kind of the whole thing that we're going through collectively. Um and as like theater makers in New York, I kind of feel like I kind of feel like things were shifting anyway, Um, especially like in the off-Broadway scene, um, the the shows that were being produced, also on Broadway for that matter, but Broadway is a different thing. Like it's, you know, commercial theater. Um, And yeah, I I don't know, just over the last year or two, I mean, I don't know, it's hard to say, but I mean, I'm here now, so. (laughs) from my perspective, it felt like maybe things were shifting in a way. Um, But at the same time, as far as like commercial theater goes, there's been a thing coming for a while, which is like Mm -hmm. the people that can afford full price Broadway tickets are older, um, more conservative, not necessarily politically, but just kind of, lifestyle wise Um, and so the things that were kind of made for Broadway like commercially um, were safe were kind of within the box and the problem like while those were successful in a way the problem is we have to start developing new audiences for new theater and to keep I don't think theater will ever die like I'm not somebody who thinks that but I do think, one, I believe theater should be accessible to everybody. Um, mm-hmm. And I understand the Broadway and those big theaters, like there's, there's a cost to productions, um, and most plays on any level don't really make a profit in and of themselves. Um, there's a lot more that goes into it, but they don't just make profits from ticket sales. It's like an oh, investment. Yeah. yeah. There'd um, be no
2: way to like pay all the people if you were just making money from tickets. <laughs> yeah. um,
0: But so I think what's really cool is like this type of, this piece developing and sharing like the work in progress and kind of letting things, I, I think it's a really cool idea of like letting things kind of be works of art in and of themselves also. Um, And so it's like as far as like streaming plays, like filming plays, even when we get back to full-on productions, maybe also making some of those plays accessible um, to people to see for free or for cheap or whatever. Um, But to get people interested and engaged with theater in new ways, I think is is really exciting.
2: Yeah, and like, this podcast ex like this radio play exploration is really exciting to me because this can be something that's shared by anybody who's worked on this project at any level or time in the project or even somebody who's not involved with the project that's like oh listen to this like this would be a cool show to go see one day or wow i hate this everybody listened. like you know um i think of it as like a really like multi-use sort of thing that actors can use to to say like hey look at this voice work I did maybe add it to their repertoire of um what they have digitally to submit yeah. things because now people are submitting digitally ev- like all the time anyway mm-hmm. um and then like as a as myself as like a writer dramaturg director like I hardly ever have anything to really show for what I've done other than like a program note you know like this has been this is a really exciting thing to say like hey i actually have a record of what i've done and you can see it because i feel like workshop performances are in the past have been so closed door you know yeah because obviously people are sensitive about the work that they're creating and they want to um curate the audience for a new work to people who are you know at least receptive to it but i think it's really exciting to just open the doors to everyone and be able to say like look it's not finished it's not perfect but you know let's get some feedback and it can open the door for some really honest critique and hopefully yeah. some more you know collaborators from more diverse locations because really most of our people right now are at least if not currently in new york or new york based at some point
0: mm-hmm. um, and what was yeah. the podcast what, the, what was the podcast that you said you're going to do it on? Invited
2: Dress. It's Invited Dress, yeah. Nice. Um, but this project, actually, we've been really recording content for it from the beginning because it's a devised piece, and all of us were kind of entering devised theater from different levels of experience with that medium. So, like, even a year ago, we did a workshop performance of it that was like really, really basic, like, bare bones. We were still kind of figuring out what the show was, and we actually filmed it. Uh, we had an audience of like 10 people because it was in the middle of this barn in Maine that was for um, was at the Barn Arts Collective, which is like a new work development place, but it's like really far out there in Maine. So the physical audience we had was really small and limited, but we now have this recorded version of it that we've been able to refer back to when we invite new collaborators into the work. And when we get stuck, we can be like, "Oh, let's watch the main video." And then earlier this year, before COVID happened, we did um, some improv exercises in uh, at the Target Margin Studios, and um, we used those for some of our scenes. And like, those are also we we filmed those too, and so those are also part of it. And like, I would never have thought that like recording my rehearsals and like early workshops that felt like so terrible would actually be this helpful to the process. So I think going forward creating device theater I'm going to make sure that everything gets recorded um, and now I feel like I have so much more um, technology and skills to do it. Mm-hmm. I, I want to empower other people to keep recording their work too even if it feels like weird or scary to record yourself in the early stages of uh, early stages of creating something, it's like, so it's so much more useful than I thought it would be. And I think it's so much more exciting for other people than I realize. because I show that video to people who I want to work with and say, if you're interested in the project, like watch this or or read this or listen to this. And it's just so much easier to talk about something when you actually have um, a record of it.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I think it's also cool as far as there's like um I've been doing I have been I'm really into sharing the process for like a number of reasons. Um uh-oh, can we freeze.
2: I think so. I you're frozen for me.
0: Can you hear oh, me? You're back. Okay. Um I'm really My into- internet
2: did a weird thing.
0: Gotcha. Um I'm really into like sharing the process
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: um, so I've been doing something pretty much every week like I try to share something just like on like I share it on like Instagram and Facebook and it's like sometimes they're more developed concepts sometimes they're not sometimes I'm really not (laughs) like I'm like oh that was whack but whatever I have to share it now um and It's funny, because the ones that, like, sometimes the ones that I don't really feel strong about resonate with somebody, so maybe there's something there. Um, And then the other thing is I I do kind of have some ideas for some longer-form pieces. Like, there's kind of something I'm trying to put together in, like, a couple of months, which I'll probably incorporate not all of that stuff, but, like, some of it. And... I think it's really, it'll be really hopefully cool for like people who have seen some of the other stuff to see it developed and actually refined and presented in a different context. Um, Cause then, you know, they they appreciate like the standalone raw pieces um, and then seeing it in another concept I think I don't know. It brings people into the whole experience in a different way.
2: Yeah. And I think that's part of what the shift in theater, like that was, that is part of what the shift in theater was before COVID. And it's like really part of it now is that people want to be a part of the process. People want to be uh, collaborators and they want to be able to interact with the story from the beginning. And like, be able to feel like they're a part of it, you know what I mean? Like more than just like here's the finished project and go see it on Broadway. I feel like people, like you said, people are less interested in what's being put on Broadway because it's just sh- such a specific audience. And I was at Broadway Con earlier this year or last year, I cannot remember because time has completely mm-hmm. disappeared from my grasp. Yeah. But they were talking about, like, oh, this is how you could use your social media platforms to engage with audiences. Like, you can give a behind the scenes tour with a cast member or, like, you know, have somebody do an Instagram takeover. And I was like, that's nice, but that's not really what I wanna see on a show's Instagram feed or, like, you know, their behind the scenes process. I wanna see how it's created. I wanna see, like, all the, you know, blood, sweat, and tears that went into it. And, like, the passion that people have for it, not like a, you know, like a glossy, yeah, sort of, you know, production-heavy look at something that's already there. Mm-hmm. But I think now this this time is forcing people to create interactive work too, because there isn't a stage. There literally isn't a physical stage. But it's the perfect time to develop work. And how are you going to get people interested in work that doesn't exist yet? Is by hopefully having them see the process.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, So yeah, I think it's an exciting time. Um, I also think it's an exciting time for like, like, you know, a lot of people have left New York,
1: Mm -hmm. um,
0: things are uncertain, but I feel like for those of us who are here kind of for the like, the uncertain um, near future, I feel like there are going to be opportunities to like get indoors that normally the barrier of entry would be, I don't think it's ever impossible, but I think the barrier to like entry is different in this time. Um, totally. Like, especially if you want to make things,
2: mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Or learn things or meet new people. I actually remember Alec on one of your earlier podcasts, you were talking about how a lot of teachers, uh, you know, theater educators or mentors are offering their services for uh, either free or like highly reduced rates right now, because well, they kind of have to, but it also because they reach a larger audience and like coming out of this, there are going to be people with like, so many so many more people with higher level skills and connections than were able to have access to before. So Mm -hmm. yeah, access is is a huge part of it. And uh, I really hope it's for the better. I
0: really
2: hope I really hope this change is like a positive one.
0: And I think I mean I also think um not in a violent sense but in the sense, like I think, there we have to be willing to like fight for that change, so Absolutely. to like to be activated and like to to make it happen. You know,
2: yeah. um,
0: like we can't wait for somebody else to do what we want to see.
2: Yeah, exactly. um I think that's that's kind of the mentality that I took at the beginning of this. Um, not just the the. The coronavirus sort of shut down, but like, especially when I got furloughed, I was like, Oh, I had somebody telling me, you know, here are all these projects that you have the opportunity to work on, you know, here's what you can do for these projects. And like, it was really exciting to be a part of that. But when I was not at the public anymore, when I was like all alone, I was like, How do I make things? I like totally forgot how to self-start a project. And I had to like, retrain myself how to be a freelancer. Um, Which was, I gotta say, I'm really glad it happened because I needed that push. I needed to be able to, you know, learn how to, like you said, fight for things, activate my own skill set and my own community. Um, And I think if, you know, if and when hopefully I do go back to the public, I'll be able to like, still maintain a a freelance career on the, at the same time, which is what I've wanted this whole time, but just never been able to balance properly.
0: Um, Yeah. That was like a big thing for me when COVID happened and kind of like always writing some things, always sort of, and had done, created some of my own projects in the past and kind of had this thought like, yeah, like when I have enough time
2: or mm-hmm. like if
0: i book like a big enough like acting gig that's like financially rewarding and i have more time but it all came back to basically saying if i had more time i would write and create the things and then having the time being like okay you said you wanted time to to do these things so now you don't have that excuse um so make sure, you know, you use the time as, as best you can. And we're, you know, we're still human and like learning and not perfect. And it's like all a process, Mm -hmm. Uh, but overall, yeah, I'm pretty happy too, and have felt like a major shift and, and I don't feel like I've wasted my time. There've been days where I've like not done as much as I should have, but like overall and that's what it comes down to it's like every day like every day having that battle of like you know are you gonna write today are you gonna Mm -hmm. um oh and a question I had on on this project and then we'll move on to the other one um we can bounce around too we don't have any box but um so since this one is devised and there's like and everybody is Um, co-creators in it how was the project like initiated
2: um so the like general idea of it was kind of uh spearheaded by one person who was like i really am interested in exploring this idea of how can we look at gun violence through the lens of western movies and that's uh, my good friend and collaborator conrad cluck uh who also runs well it's currently on hiatus but the Feast performance series which was like a a monthly series that was at um under st mark's and it was all like new works different types of art multimedia monthly sharing of of work and then they changed it to digital in march but then they've had to take a break for you know the craziness of the world Mm -hmm. um but he was like I had done a couple of feast performances. And so that's how I met Conrad. And he was like talking about this idea. He was like, yeah, I have this idea, but I need a a team. And um, so he brought in a couple of people with like different sorts of skill sets to just kind of play around with the concept. And that's what we did about a year ago. Um, He and I, and two others, um, Ben Moniz and Anya Kapischke, we all went up to Maine to this workshop to just like basically, the workshop was like, here's your time, here's a space, do what you want to do, and we went in with, like, nothing, (laughs) and came out with, like, a 10-minute script, so um, that's kind of where the idea came from, and we all were just really excited about the, um, the, I am somebody who has a background in devising, like, I just love devised work, and I really like Um, Conrad and I really wanted a chance to work with him and I didn't actually know a ton about guns or Westerns but now I'm like uh, I'm I'm pretty well versed and I'm kind of uh, uh, turned into a Western fan because of this Um, and yeah it was just an exciting opportunity to work with some people that that I hadn't had a chance to work with and Conrad like uh, you know scheduled out a chunk of time for us all to be like okay we're gonna focus on this one project for this one week um which I think was a nice push to <laughs> get out of the city for a little bit and actually like work on a new play because I've been working on a lot of um like o- older uh not new works basically i had been a production dramaturging a lot of musicals at regional theaters um which is fun in itself but it's not the same as like being actually a you know getting your foot in the door at the beginning of a project
0: um, and um, quickly for people listening who maybe don't know um, how would you just des- describe uh, dramaturgy and being a dramaturg? Oh, I
1: know
0: it's different. Like it's kind <laughs> of different every time in a way. Yeah,
2: right? yeah. Like
0: project specific in a way. Um, uh huh. But yeah,
2: I mean, I get this question all the time because like outside of theater nobody knows what dramaturgy is um uh and and like you said the definition can change based on your project and and the thing that I like the most about dramaturgy is it's it's the kind of work that has to be self-defined by the person doing it so I think my being a dramaturg is completely different than you know my my colleagues being a dramaturg. I can name like a bunch of people that I, I know who are dramaturgs and each one of them has a completely different definition for this. Um, but essentially, I like to think of it as like the context of a play. Um, if you're working on a play as a dramaturg, it's like, first, the first question you always ask is like, why this play now? Why why are we doing this particular story right now? What's the contextual relevance to the time the contemporary audience and it's also um, uh, the role of like a researcher who provides historical context if there's anything that needs uh like a historical background like for the westerns it's watching a lot of western movies and saying like well this actor appeared in this movie so you know um And then also it's kind of being in the eyes of the audience as well. Mm -hmm. So like later on in a process, for example, with a new work, it's saying like, well, I don't think this will read to the audience the way that you want it to. Let's try X, Y, Z instead. So it's kind of like a bird's eye view and also like a connecting the dots. Somebody Mm -hmm. who fills in the roles that aren't already there. So you're not a director, you're not a playwright, you're not a stage manager, but you do, I mean, you're not an actor, but you do talk to all of those people and you're kind of like a liaison between the show and the audience as well. Um, and like I said, it's different for a new work versus an already, uh, created work an already produced work. Um, for a new work, it's a lot more of like an editor role and like an advocate for the playwright, helping them create a script that. feels like the story that they are trying to tell and helping them be their best self. And then for an already produced work, it's trying to figure out with the director, like how do we want to present this particular piece to convey the message that you as the director want to say? So I guess that's a very long winded way of saying that um, I I see myself as a person who works to make other my other collaborators the best versions of themselves and to create their best work um, so you know somebody who advocates and challenges and listens uh, and does a lot of research
0: hmm yeah I could also see that role being important um, when things go to Broadway also as far as because then you have like the playwright, you have the director, you have the, you know, you have like those roles. Um, and then you also have the producers coming in. And this is like the big difference. Cause like for me, like the public theater, um, the Labyrinth Theater, um, Playwrights Horizon, these are actually like, I, I, like I've been really clear over the last couple of years. Those are actually like my Broadway. Mm-hmm. Like, that's actually the work that I would want to do. Um, but it's, like, when things go to Broadway, all of a sudden the other producer that's in the room, and, the, and I know that they exist also probably at the public and at these things, but just the mission of the public, the mission of Playwrights Horizon, like, it's really rooted in, like, artistic excellence Mm -hmm. Um, And then like when you get to the Broadway, it does become like more of a commercial enterprise. And so you do have like more voices who are like appealing to like some notion of like what will sell more commercially. Um, And with all the moving pieces, it's important that somebody can advocate also at the same time for the audience cuz like those things aren't mutually exclusive but sometimes what happens when things go to Broadway is like some important context gets lost you know Totally in,
2: totally so. I think a great example of really good Broadway dramaturgy is Hades Town which mm-hmm. is a show that isn't like a lot of the shows on Broadway when it was on it, it definitely skewed towards a younger more Um, contemporary, contemporary is not the right word, a younger audience, um, a little bit, it's a little bit more edgy. Um, And it had like uh, a following and a past at the, I think it was at New York Theater Workshop uh, when it was off Broadway, but um, Ken Cerniglia, who is the former president of LMDA, which is like the literary managers and dramaturgs of the Americas. That's like the dramaturgs. It's not a union, but it's like a group group a membership group. Um, So he dramaturged on that show. And he, I think, brought a really strong voice to the room to help it go from off-Broadway to Broadway. And he is actually on the billing page, which is like rare for a dramaturg. Um, And so we were all really excited about that. All the dramaturgy community was like, yes, you know, recognition. Um, And I think that's one of the few shows we've seen that's like actually a little bit like challenges an audience a little bit on Broadway um Mm. so yeah I think it is important I don't know that every Broadway show has a dramaturg in the role of dramaturg but a lot of people do that job without having that title
0: yeah yeah
2: um the other weird thing about dramaturgy is like it's not always called dramaturgy
0: yeah um like the theater company that I'm a part of, uh, it's called Shelter Theater.
1: Mm-hmm. And like,
0: they now are like, doing more playwright development. Um, and I'm honored to be one of them this time. That's awesome. And, um, my, like one of my friends, and she used to be the artistic director, they changed the model so now it's like, there's a leadership team. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's, uh, Megan Jones is the dramaturg for my piece. Um, and basically, yeah, like she's just helping me stay, checking in, stay on task, uh, turn in pages when they're due, talk things out. Um, and then, yeah, when I'm feeling blocked or something, like kind of sharing like books and stuff like on writing and like just on, yeah, um, yeah but it's been super helpful, but it's also like, when like, like I've known so many dramaturgs um, and never really had a grasp on what it is. Um, just I just know it's important.
2: <laughs> well, it's different for every person too. Like I don't know that anybody at, even at like the president of the current president of the Literary Managers, Dramaturgs of America, LMDA, would probably say like, well, here's my definition, but, you know, fill in the blank there. Uh, ask three others and it's completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I, that's why I like to think of it as both being an advocate and, like, uplifting people and, at the same time, filling in the gaps where you see them.
0: Yeah, um, and I worked with a friend of mine. He wrote, directed, and starred in a play. Wow. Um and didn't have a dramaturg like i like i was in this play with him um so he did he was open to to like he like he wanted my voice and wanted some of the people in it like to like share things that we were seeing that he wasn't um but i was i definitely advocate even though like i like creating original things i know that i need and I believe everybody benefits from having more perspective um yeah in fact I've like some things that I've seen not work out quite well it's like dang it if you just had more perspective in the room like I think this would have been even more or even you know uh do you (laughs) like do you so do you identify as a dramaturg or like do you kind of have another kind of explanation for like what you do and who you are like you know because i heard director writer dramaturg actor um yeah well, how- i
1: guess and I, know it,
0: I know it's a weird quote i know it's like not always the funnest question but i'm kind of starting to drill this down with people because I find the more that I out loud have to kind of explain who I am as an artist, um, the more clear I think it becomes to other people and myself. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's not fun, but I think it's beneficial and useful. So
2: Oh, I really uh, appreciate you asking. I think it's, it's a great question. And I think, I think it's true for a lot of us now that we have to be multi-hyphenate, so I would definitely consider myself a multi-hyphenate, not just um, one of those things that you mentioned. I think I'm, I'm primarily a dramaturg in terms of the work that I am most passionate about and the work that I got hired for, to be honest. Um, but I'm definitely also a director. Um, I consider myself a writer, but not necessarily a playwright. If that makes sense. Um yeah. I do more writing of like analyzing theater, like HowlRound. I've written a couple howlround articles, um, analysis of things, uh program notes, even some marketing material. Uh and I would consider myself an editor too. Um But I also kind of see them all under the umbrella of dramaturgy sometimes because dramaturgy is such an expansive word that I'm like, okay, I'm a dramaturg and it includes all of these things. Um,
1: Um, Yeah.
2: I guess I'm a dramaturg first and then I'm kind of like whatever else I need to be. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I'm passionate about writing and I'm passionate about directing and I'm passionate about like creating new work. Um, And I'm a divisor. So that means that I, Necessarily take on a lot of roles. Um, I wouldn't consider myself an actor anymore. I do have, I did start out as an actor and I have acting training, but it's just definitely not what I was meant to do (laughs) in the theater. Um, It's helpful as a skill set to understand where actors are coming from when I work with them and to also understand how to put together a good play that will speak to an actor and that will be uh exciting for them to take on and also to help actors like you know really dive into roles in plays that are not new um that acting understanding like I do have the, I understand the mindset of actors but um I don't definitely definitely not for me anymore <laughs> yeah
0: yeah I I get that um good for you because <laughs> I mean I I mean I I say that like I think it's a uh, I, th- I think it's both a very hard profession and and I do think it's very rewarding. Like, I think the dark side of it is super dark. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the positive side, I think it's, I'm I'm refinding what I think is really beautiful about it. Um, one of them actually has to do with failure. Kind of my thing is that this is like a thing I decided last year, kind of a reframing. Like a lot of people think acting is hard because of the constant rejection, constant failure. Um, But any successful person who like really understands how they got where they were, will tell you that they learned a lot and usually the most from their failures. Um, So as an actor, I think you have the opportunity to fail more than a lot of people Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in that failure, you also have the opportunity to hopefully learn and grow um, many more lifetimes than than a lot of people because because of constantly failing and constantly taking the risk, you know, being vulnerable and all those things that are, <laughs> yeah, you're vulnerable. You're gonna take some shots, um, but mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's worth it. Um, so I'm not wrapping. Oh,
2: I just want to say I have so much respect for actors because of that. The reason why I made the decision, oh, my light just went out. <laughs> um, the reason why I made the decision to stop acting was because I just did not have the stamina for it anymore. Um, like I, I loved it. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the most fun things to do and I worked really, really hard at it and I just did not have the emotional stamina, honestly. To continue doing it and I just I know that actors are ugh, like you're you're the smartest like most tough people and I have so much respect for people like you who continue to act like you know <laughs> thank you for doing what you're doing
0: thank you for doing what I mean we that like I have free fallen in love with like theater and like um this world that we live in, because it's all about like collaboration. Um, you know, i I also think that I was having a conversation the other day about like politics and everything coming up, like and it's like the for the longest time saying, you know, we can't talk about politics, but it's like now I think no, we have to talk about these things, and I think a very fundamental conversation that I want to start putting forward with like Republicans and Democrats, particularly with Republicans is just, do you value human beings over money or do you value money over human beings? Like, that's like the question I think we need to ask. And, and I do think that that's a binary choice Um, And we can get into capitalism, socialism, like the, like, like the complex things, like, I think come down to a simple question, um, because I don't think any system is ever going to be perfect. Um, I think we're going to need elements of different systems as we like know and understand them now, like none of them are going to be 100% one thing or another. But like, do we want to live in a world where we care about other people? or not like and do we care you care about other people because there are other beings on the planet like or not like and it's just like I think it does come down to like a binary choice um and so that's like the debate that I want to start pushing and having um mm-hmm. and also like the thing about it is if you don't care about other people and if you don't care about other lives um we don't live on this planet like by ourselves we need each other um and we're not going to survive if we don't it's really simple it's really basic stuff but i feel like we're losing the plot um Mm -hmm. and we've yeah and i and i think like again hopefully this pause like i think a lot of people are kind of having these thoughts but it's like when things open back up like that's I think like a fundamental conversation we need to have. Um yeah. I want to ask you before we go too far. Um are you and just check in, are you pressed on time or anything? No. Okay. Because I'm not um this is not like a wrap up question. This is just I don't want to forget to ask this, mm-hmm. which is uh where's the best place for people to like follow you um and keep up with like what you're up to.
2: Oh, uh, well, I right now I'm in the process of building a website. So okay. hopefully I will have that information for you at some point and theoretically before this airs. Uh, but if not, the best place to find me is on Instagram, at uh, eWhiteLights. Um, that is where I am trying to be posting more lately, but I'm very accessible to talk to you. Um, I love chatting and collaborating with people. Um, I've been very bad at posting on social media lately because this time has been just so draining. Um, but even just you talking about you, you know, giving yourself weekly goals of posting on Instagram, new work, and like pushing yourself to get more content out there. Like, I I'm making a a pledge to myself, and now it'll be out there on the air. <laughs> to start being more present on social media for, you know, a myriad of reasons, but just to be more in touch with the world and not hide under a rock, like I think is easy for a lot of us to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I took a lot of time during the beginning of this um, quarantine furlough period to really just like get off social media and focus, like refocus my values, do some, anti-racism training a lot of stuff that i should have done a long time ago that um you know i really just needed to carve out some time to figure out what what am i doing in the in the world as a white cis female queer dramaturg that is worth doing that and how can i use my voice to uh to uplift others more than I have been. So yeah, sorry. That was a very long answer to your question of where to follow me, but I'm working at it.
0: (laughs) Um, And I also think it's some, like, I think with social media, um, it is important to be like intentional um, and there is good reason to be like weary of it. Like I've been, on Facebook since like almost the beginning and so I try to distance myself but I'm still kind of it still has me by the hooks a little bit um and Instagram um overall like I've enjoyed because I don't feel like it pulls me in the same way which is really good um so I kind of want to keep it there um just trying to avoid hours of scrolling which sounds like an exaggeration but i think a lot of people don't realize how long like and how much time can quickly be wasted um yeah
2: i got really sucked into facebook too which was part of why i wanted to like pause and then reshift to instagram because i also find it to be a lot less stressful of a platform
1: yeah um
2: i think people think a lot more about what they post before they mm-hmm. post it on Instagram, which is part of why it's a little less toxic. Um, I don't post a ton on Facebook, but I definitely scroll a lot. So I, I'm i right there with you. I definitely have spent hours and hours scrolling on Facebook and it only makes me feel worse.
0: Yeah. So. <laughs> um, and it's also like arguments on Facebook, even with people, like this is how toxic I think it is. It's like, even with people who are also like there's not a name but it's a buddy of mine um he's also mixed so we have like a similar background he's um half black half white like he's um he's a little bit younger than me but like he's also a actor and a writer um we have very similar world views. um we're also very opinionated Um, And so I don't even remember what it was about, but there was something and the way he was talking to, to me, like on there, I was just sort of like, you would not like, like we can have this argument, but actually I'm, I kind of, as a policy at a certain point, like if it reaches a certain tone, I kind of have adopted like i disengage at a certain point just because i don't think it's getting anywhere like i'm all for debate but when it's not constructive um i'm not Mm -hmm. for it like um yeah and yeah but it was like yeah it was getting like it was just disappointing because it was just like this isn't like i know you you know me you know where I'm from, so why would you talk to me like you know what I mean?
2: do you think it would have gone better or the conversation would have been different if it was offline if it was in person definitely, yeah,
0: definitely hundred percent um and so that's what I think it's like everybody, and so that's where also if it's a random person, um I'm also try to be very careful, yeah. even if we're having an argument in like being a little bit more diplomatic, like more diplomatic and more thoughtful than maybe I would in real life. Because in real life there's context. Um you can get a feeling of where somebody's coming from. Um whereas on Facebook it's easy to both be the kind of the nastier version of yourself. Um and also to like be misunderstood more yeah. so yeah
2: and that's why i hardly ever post on facebook
0: <laughs> yeah
2: but i try to share i try to um if i use facebook to to say something i usually try to share a link i'm trying to take my voice off of facebook as much as i can when it's not uh supporting something mm-hmm. or someone else uh, I don't know, I just feel like it's not my time to speak. It's my time to listen and and share links and educate people, but not to like take up too much space.
0: Why do you think that?
2: Well, on Facebook, it's just like uh, I don't have the energy to deal with the people that are like, that would respond to me asking for education or 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 challenging me on my views i just like i i don't know how to have these conversations on social media to be honest like
1: yeah
2: you know props to you for being able to hold your own in a debate online but i just cannot i can't debate with people online it's just really it's really hard for me to have those conversations without seeing someone's face
0: yeah um and i can and i don't think like And this is also like with, even when I've been as diplomatic, um, constructive and like respectful as I can be and know I can be and like persuasive reason, um, there are times when I've been able to like change somebody's mind or like get them to like open up to like other possibilities. Um, I have cousins, on my mom's side of the family who live in like rural, like outside of Seattle, um, more rural, more Trump country, Washington state um, who I'm sure some of them voted for Trump. I'm I'm sure some of them, I mean, some of them are just lifelong Republicans Mm. and some of them have reached out to me when they've seen like police killings and like kind of, you know, trying to start conversations and and that's, like, cool and that's positive. Um, but the amount of times I've actually been able to get somebody to, like, listen to, like, a different perspective, not very often. Like, people are dug in and I don't feel the way the platform is set up. It's not designed to, like... To change people's minds
2: right it's designed for likes it's designed mm-hmm. for like yeah, it's designed for likes because I think the times that I've tried to like actually say something with my Facebook account and like try and have conversations with people about especially around the um the protests around George Floyd. I, I posted a little bit about um, me going to protests at that, that you know it was totally safe and was fine um, and mostly it was just people commenting patting me on the back for going to a protest and I'm like that's not what this is about like I don't right. need you to pat me on the back and say I'm so brave for going to a protest like thanks for you know caring about my safety I appreciate that but also are you going to protests mm-hmm. like what are, are you donating or if you're not able to go out like it, it just the conversation becomes really self-centered really fast and that's why i think i don't want to take up space right now because it's just not useful
0: and the other thing with it also for me um and also like to you um and to other theater artists is i also like when the george floyd protests happened i i went to like some protests but like not very many um yeah. also I've been to a lot of protests in my life i'm kind of i've been burned out on protests um i think they're necessary i think mm-hmm. that like so i support them and everything um but for me at this period in my life um like pre-covid too now i basically <laughs> Fozzie, I'm gonna, to <laughs> I'm gonna have to put you in the other room i have to put you in the other room um in pre-COVID, too, now, like, basically, but definitely during COVID, kind of realizing I always wanted to, like, do, like, art for change.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, I have done a lot of work, like, since my childhood, like, dealing, like, specifically, like, with racism and and theater. Um, It's also been something that I've ran away from at different times or like didn't want to do it all and i don't want to do it all the time um but like last summer i did a show at the national black theater and it was like a protest piece it was like outside Um, and through the audition process kind of realized sometimes i have been frustrated like with um like because i took time off from acting i got burned out from acting. It took like five years away. And and so kind of being like, I'm going into like a whole other phase. I'm not like 20 anymore, like far from it. Um, And so sort of like feeling like, what was the point of it all and all of this, but that play, um, getting involved with that, like community made like, I realized that play that time like i was supposed to be there um and i my like unique experience of like political theater was like mm-hmm. directly applicable um and and also like helpful for like some of my younger like castmates who would never done anything like that like just to have somebody experienced in that type of theater um, So basically I say all that though to say like during this time realizing with like wanting to write more and do the things I always said, that also my best way of using my voice, my best way of like affecting change um, is through like the art that I want to create, you know? Yeah,
2: Yeah, totally. And I feel like in this time we're all trying to figure out like all of us who, all of us who care enough to want to do something positive right now, um, I think we're all trying to figure out where our voices are most useful. And for me, I feel like, uh, I mean, not just right now, but in, in general, like my skill set is to be somebody who supports and uplifts, like to to be somebody who's behind the scenes, like helping get someone's message out or helping somebody like be the best version of themselves um, and helping everybody have the skills and knowledge they need to go out and like use their voice in the the way that is most useful. I sound like I'm talking in circles, uh, but I don't know. I've been trying to figure out like where my voice is best used. And I think it is, right now in more of a supportive role, whether that means like attending a protest um, and like sitting in the back and, you know, just being another person there with the crowd or, you know, donating money to a cause. But really where I think my voice is most useful is in creating a piece of theater that has the potential for healing. Mm -hmm. I, I believe really strongly that theater is one of the most Powerful mediums for group healing, especially group healing from group trauma, which we are all going through right now for, you know, a variety of reasons. And I think that we're going to want to be, all of us are going to want to be in the room together with people after this is over. And if we don't provide spaces to heal and if we don't provide, if we don't build sensitivity for audiences into a play, it's going to be really hard for us to come back. So I guess what I'm trying to say is the way I'm focusing on all three of these pieces that I'm working on now is is how to push uh, me and my collaborators to ask difficult questions and make sure the message that we're telling is something that's worth telling right now, but also to create space for people to heal within the piece. Because I think it's going to be more important when we come back now more than ever to have spaces to heal even just like a moment in the script to breathe and I wouldn't say that necessarily for all the I don't think all theaters should be like you know nice and fluffy and comforting but I I do think you need to to at least allow some places for people to to heal um yeah I guess I'm trying to approach things from that lens Mm mm-hmm
0: and like, I think hope is super important. Like, I think hope is powerful, actually.
2: Agreed. And actually, I think the the third piece that I haven't talked about yet is, is of the three I'm working on, the most focused on healing. Um, and I think where it's at developmentally, it'll come out. It, it'll hopefully be finished at a time when people are ready to start coming into a room together to heal. Um, it's currently called Van Gogh. Uh, working title um, and it's about the relationship between Vincent van Gogh, his brother and his brother's wife, uh, Joe. Um, and it's a dance theater piece. So it, it has original music composed by Eric Fegan. It's gonna be choreographed by Rachel Vertone and directed by Will nunziata who's also directing Little Black Book. And um, my current title in this project is uh, development and dramaturgy by emily uh, and this piece is going to be about like people three people in like different phases of their lives the three van gogh's um, all writing letters to each other from different sides of the um, continent so it's about like connection during isolation um is one of the big themes in it, and and healing from death and grief because the well I don't want to give away the whole story, but you know, uh, both Van Gogh and his brother Theo died a- about six months apart from each other. So there's a lot of grieving that family has to deal with. And I think we're going to be focusing a huge, a, a large portion of the second act on like what happens after that, you know, like how does Joe, the wife, deal with the loss of her family members and a lot of things that we've been talking about in this piece are like how to not only grieve a lost loved one but also like commemorate them and celebrate them um, so that piece i think will it is is turning to something that will be really like hopefully really welcoming and healing for people. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very different than the other, the, the six-shooter piece, for sure. Um, but I think it's, and, and when I first got asked to do it, I was like, why are we doing this? And then the more we got into it, the more re- letters we read, we were like, oh, wow, this feels like eerily similar, <laughs> yeah. writing about death and loss and being disconnected from each other, like, you know.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Van Gogh is one of my favorite artists. Um, yeah, I think also, I mean, some of it's tragic, but, it, but overall I think it's like a beautiful story. Um, just kind of, yeah, like living the artist's life and like trying to say something and do something with the art, you know?
2: Like, yeah. God, and me
0: of it for me.
2: Yeah, a lot of people don't know this, but Joe Van Gogh, who was uh, Vincent's brother-in-law, actually collected all of the letters that Vincent wrote Theo. Uh, Vincent didn't save a lot of the letters that Theo wrote him because he was pretty disorganized. Um, But Theo saved all the letters that Vincent left him. They were just totally disorganized um, and not in order or anything. She collected all the letters, translated them into French and English. and organized all of the show all of the first showings of Vincent's art that actually made him famous so he would not have been remembered if it wasn't for her um so I think one of the really cool messages to take that hopefully people will be able to to get from this story is like is that you matter even if you weren't the artist in the family Uh you know what I mean like his, his his art is so powerful but it wouldn't have been seen if it wasn't for this like the love and dedication of his sister- in-law, and I think it's a really nice message about the power of like remembering somebody and and yeah, I don't know I, I we're still we're still in early stages with that one, so I don't know what the ultimate arc of the story is going to be yet, but right now those are the key messages that I think we're we're uh, focusing on right now
0: mm-hmm. Uh, my wife is from Amsterdam, and oh, wow. the Van Gogh Museum is there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, I hadn't been there um, <laughs> for the longest time. I was saying that I didn't like museums, <laughs> but that wasn't entirely true. But, because, um, yeah, finally, like, we went to that museum. We'd been to some of the others, um, and I think it was, like, the last time I was there, and actually – like, I mean, I love the art, but reading the letters actually was the thing that was speaking to me the, the most.
2: Yeah, the letters are they're truly beautiful, and you know, they're going to be the source text. I don't think we're really going to write anything. Um, I think we're just going to use all of their text. Um, and the, oh, just like the way that his artistic career developed in such a short span of time um, and watching it unfold, hopefully, in a visual way like that. I've been to that museum. It's a beautiful museum, the way they've organized it. It, like, tells a story, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's just, you know, I, and I think a lot of people know who Van Gogh is and and are able to connect with him on some level. His art is really visceral. Uh, and I think there's a lot more to the story that, is extremely relatable that people don't know a lot about so
0: Mm -hmm.
2: yeah Um, and then
0: the whole thing like also mental health um, yes
2: that's a huge part of it too
0: yeah um which speaking of um i also usually ask people like how how have you been doing overall like during this time
2: It's been a real roller coaster for me, in all honesty, Um, going from having a full time job working from home to having no job and having to create basically an entirely freelance career in the span of a couple of months has been (laughs) has been really stressful. Uh, And I mean, I don't know if this is the same for you, but being in New York is is this whole time has been really stressful. Um, my neighborhood has a lot of people in it. And every time I go outside, I'm, not gonna, I'm never gonna be six feet away from people. That's yeah. just not realistic. So it's been really stressful. And I think I I've spent a lot of time being a, being a bit agoraphobic too, and not going outside and, and being depressed because I didn't get enough sunlight. Um, so now I think I'm on the other end of things where I've I've learned how to live in quarantine. I'm trying to balance my my time as a human and as an artist uh, and as as somebody who needs to work <laughs> for a living. Um, I think I'm somebody who definitely uh, tends to be overscheduled and push myself too hard. So if I've learned anything from this time, it's how to take a break. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like a really huge lesson for me.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like that was, that's been like the thing. Um, I mean, I think I've been, I mean, definitely I've been more creative in this time in a way, but on the other hand, like pre COVID, I was working pretty full time, like at a restaurant mm-hmm. and I was in um, classes And I was auditioning a lot, Um, and I was doing like other projects, and now I'm not working as much right now, or like like I've been unemployed um, since the beginning. I'm like now I'm in training for like a new thing, a whole other uh, venture. Um, But like, yeah, like I, I've had that thought a lot too of like I'm. I've been busy during this time, like extreme, like pretty busy, like, Mm -hmm. and like, just kind of looking back, just like, how was I doing that before? And I guess (laughs) it's different because it's like at home. So it's like working and doing things at home. It's you're in the same space. So time management is different. Yeah. Like whereas before, if I went into the city, like I would physically go to like a class. I would physically go to audition, a couple of different places. Mm-hmm. And maybe be writing or doing other things on the go. So I think there was like things that I did, like with the commute also.
2: Oh yeah, uh, I had like an hour commute to work. I got so much done on the train.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. But, yeah, but it's going forward, it's, like, Mm. when things open back up, like, how, yeah, just how do I want to spend the time? Like, because it's limited, like, our time is limited, both, like, in the long run and in the short term. So, yeah, I just want to be, I just don't want to waste my time, Um, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I feel totally the same. Um, I think I was a crazy person before this and was doing like, you know, 12 things too many. But at the same time, I was having a lot of fun doing it. You know, it was like, it was giving me a lot of fulfillment to be out in the world, like walking around to different places and like going to physically going to different things. Um, And what this time has really put in perspective for me is like, now I feel like I have the, and I definitely had this before, but I just didn't realize it. I have the like ability to pick and choose what I want to do. Um, and like you said, what, what you care about um, and not wasting my time because I wasted a lot of time before this. And it's like weird to look back and see like, how did I spend so much time doing the dumbest things that I got nothing out of, but I did them because I didn't like to have nothing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I still struggle with uh, figuring out how to manage downtime because I have so much of it now
0: yeah uh, and I was I was in like online classes for most of quarantine also mm-hmm. and it was like it was when I went to Seattle and I had like some like projects due here because like the way and you're welcome to, I <laughs> I always, but I mean, that's what I do. Um, I always share my resources like, but, um, so the shelter, um, it's in previous times, there's a Sunday night workshop meets every Sunday. Anybody can bring in work and it's like 10 minutes of work, 10 minutes of feedback. Um, and the group is like solid, talented, brilliant. So you should definitely come in and check it out sometime.
2: That sounds awesome. Uh, Yeah. It's
0: great. um, But so they have the Sunday workshop, so I had that, I can't remember what else I had to do, but that was like one thing. I guess I was in classes also, but like when I went to Seattle dealing with family stuff, I was like only gonna do what was like necessary to Mm -hmm. do in New York and I had a pretty open schedule but I realized how full it was. And so I realized that I needed to like, I couldn't do the classes that I was doing. Um, Like I had to take time off from that to like, just attend the, like, and do the projects that I already have like on my plate. But now I'm struggling a little bit with, yeah, like now that I have that, like I'm having trouble using that time fully. So yeah, it's a, it's a dance. And I don't know what the answer is. And I think it's always a dance.
2: Yeah, I think something too that I'm, I try to keep telling myself, though, is like, being that quote, unquote, productive isn't always actually that helpful. Like, it, we live in a culture that prior to COVID uh, was very go, go, go do as much as you can. And like, a lot of people now are, are saying, like, well, that's capitalism and that's why it's bad. Um, and sure, that's part of it, but I, I do just think it's a cultural thing. Like we Americans, especially we New Yorkers, love to be busy and love to brag about how little sleep we're getting and how many things we're doing. And it's not healthy. And I think we're all realizing, uh, maybe not all, but a lot of us are realizing now like how much we were. Running ourselves down,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and, and me—I caught up on like ten years of of missed sleep. I feel like, <laughs> you know, like I feel like I'm finally like getting enough sleep for the first time since you know before college, uh, and I don't want to go back to not getting enough sleep after this. And yeah. I have to struggle with the fact that like I have built my identity around being this really productive person. And now I'm realizing it's not healthy to be that productive. So there's a disconnect in my mind that I'm working through and hopefully I'll come out on the other side more balanced, but I definitely don't yeah. want to miss out on um, like taking a breath when I need to.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think like building, I think like the important thing also is like building in like self-care. Mm-hmm. Like whether that's going somewhere and, like, sitting in nature, like, intentionally shutting off, like, the phone and the computer Mm -hmm. for, like, like, whatever it is, um, when it's a thing, again, you know, maybe going to, like, a spa or, like, getting a, like, actually, but it's, like, we don't have a problem paying for, like, classes and paying for, like, that kind of stuff, but we, have a hard time justifying like things that are like just for ourselves. And it's like, that's important too. like, yeah, if, if you are busy, like even more important to like invest in like self care.
2: Yeah. I mean, I used to get really stressed out, uh, just sitting around and doing nothing, especially like, you know, I have friends who are like, Oh, let's go sit in the park, you know, central park and, and just like chill. And I'd be looking at my watch the whole time, like, well, what are we accomplishing? When can I get back to work? Mm -hmm. And I think now I'm a lot more, uh, not all the way calm, but a lot more calm. At least just sitting and being a little bit bored. And being bored is okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, I did go to the beach a couple of times at the end of the summer. Which is tricky because yeah. a lot of people, um, although I mean, people were pretty well spread out. Um, I don't know. It's outside, but it was when I was there. I just love the water. Um, and so it was nice to just be doing something that is nothing. Like it's, I'm just in the waves. I'm just like body surfing in the way, you know, that's all I'm doing right now. Like that it really was necessary. Like I didn't know how much I needed that until I was there.
2: Yeah. When I went to Boston, my, my family lives near some good hiking areas. And so we went to the woods a bunch and I was like, wow, I have not been in actual nature where you can't see a building on the other side for like, I don't know, a year. And it was just, like, so refreshing. I, I didn't realize how much I needed to just take a walk in the woods, you know?
0: Yeah. And a friend even, um, like, moved to L.A. Um, he's actually one of the founders of uh, of the shelter. And he was actually the guy who was in the conversation with the guy, like, talking about the gun gun rights thing. Oh. And... But he he moved to L.A., so he had a going-away party. He moved to L.A. and, like, turned 40 this year, so it's like, a combo. It's a big year. Yeah. And um, the going-away party was in Prospect Park. It was, like, by a pond. And, like, in the middle of the park, yeah, like, it feels like you're not in the city anymore. Um, It's there all the time. It's not that far from me. I could go – we'll see if I actually do this, but it's like, yeah, I want to try to make myself go.
2: Yeah. And
0: yeah. Connect with nature and disconnect from these devices for, for a period.
2: Yeah. I found even just like turning off my email notifications was huge for me. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, the kind of person who wants to have an empty inbox all the time. So I'm always like checking my email, checking my email, checking my email. And now I, I leave it for like a whole day.
0: (laughs) If you looked at my inbox, it would, uh, alarm you.
2: Oh, my inbox now is terrible. It's like, it's like in the thousands, but you know, I, it was actually really freeing for me to, to not have to have an empty inbox all the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think mine's (laughs) ever been empty. Like it's, it's, it's crazy, but it works. Works all right, it is what it is. Um, I wanted to ask also, so the different projects, are any of those like, are there like pages or anything for anybody to follow for any of those?
2: Not yet, they're all uh really In early stages. Yeah. Um, Little Black Book we announced on uh, Broadway world so you can find the announce I can link you the announcement if you want and I believe there's some clips of it of, of some of the earlier workshop songs if you want to hear some of the songs on Broadway HD um I can try to get a link for that too uh yeah. six shooter I think the first public like thing that will be accessible is that podcast invite dress again. and when is that
0: again hmm? and when is that
2: I think that'll be airing in October okay yeah, probably mid October. Um, we don't have like a an exact date yet, but it'll be the. I think they do a monthly series, so it'll be the October episode. Um, and I think you can find that podcast, you know, on the regular podcast places. Um, mm-hmm. And then Van
0: Gogh. Yeah, like a cool one to check out, also. Like yeah. Just, it's a good- yeah.
2: I'm really excited about that one, and I I'm a big sucker for radio plays, so I'm. Uh, I'm going to have a lot of fun making it. Uh, Hopefully it'll sound fun too, because we'll we'll play around with some cool Western sound effects and silly things like that. Um, And we may have some, hopefully we'll have some original music in there as well. Uh, One of our collaborators is a great composer. Um, And then Van Gogh, we're actually working on creating a a, a trailer for it Um, because we can't be in person we can't really do any workshops it's such a dance physical piece like it doesn't make sense to do a zoom reading of it we where my collaborators and I are discussing what it would be like to have like a trailer for a play like a movie trailer but for theater and what that would mean and, and how we would do it so um
0: I think it's a good idea like I've, I've seen theaters do things like that before
2: yeah totally it's just like how are we going to do it for this one? Um,
0: right.
2: And we're we're still working on it, but hopefully we'll have a trailer to share at some point. Um, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about that idea of like trying to market plays in new ways. Now that we mm-hmm. we have to like build up some excitement um, and interest, but we don't have like a, a premiere date. I think that's it's an interesting experiment. Um,
0: yeah, I before all this like there was another play I was writing um that was like about a driver like it was like just a driver for hire um and I like I was hoping maybe to do it at um Brick because they have like these artists in residencies um and if that happened my plan was going like I was like a I got through like one of the like one of the rounds or whatever and like if it happened I was planning on it was something I was planning on developing as both like a web series and as a play Um, and not like a high budget web series just sort of I was thinking of maybe doing it in a way where it's like the web the web series could be kind of more like serial stories like like not a long form narrative. Mm -hmm. And then the play would be more of a narrative. And my idea was you could shoot like a web series, however many like short episodes, um, cut that down into a trailer for the play. Um, And then it's like, if people went and saw the play who hadn't seen the web series, they could like check out this web series and the web series could advertise the play. Um, I really, I like that idea. Like it's sort of looking at what some of like Marvel and some like big budget, they do it, but there's no reason I think like as a indie artist, you couldn't, you could do the same thing, like just on a smaller scale. Um, So.
2: Yeah. And I think the dance world has actually been doing some really interesting things with video lately. And and that's where we got a lot of inspiration from uh, because it is, probably going to be a very dance-heavy trailer, hopefully. Um, yeah. But, you know, people aren't having, like, traditional reels so much anymore, and and people will film choreography, like, film a piece of choreography to show off their choreography and film it, like, outside and do some cool cuts and editing and things like that. So I do think there's a future in um, the connection between... Small filmed things in theater. I think the web series idea is awesome. Um, like, I love the idea that there's like two different formats for one story. I think that reminds me a little bit of like Fleabag because wasn't that was a yeah. play and then it became a, a TV show.
0: Fleabag, um, also uh, chewing gum.
2: Chewing gum. Yes, that was the other one. Mm-hmm. I was like, there's that other one. Um, I love that show. Uh, so yeah, there's surely a model for it i watched the first few episodes and it was really intense that i had to take a break it is <laughs> i'm gonna intense. go back to it
0: it is intense for sure um but she's she's amazing
2: yeah uh-huh. the story of her getting that show on the bbc is like incredible
0: did you see the speech she made about no, that? i didn't see the speech Ooh. i'll have to look it up yeah um it's like both inspiring like what she's saying but how she, it's like an hour long, how she says it, how she delivers it. It's like, she is that character, like on Mm -hmm. I May Destroy You. Mm -hmm. Um, So in, yeah, this 45 minute, hour long speech, like the anecdotes and everything are just like, just as brilliant. Like it's it's a brilliant performance um, as well as, what she's saying is just like a very important conversation. Um, which, again, all of these things are conversations. Like we don't have to answer, but yeah, we need to force force things along.
2: Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm. I think that I will get a lot out of that show once I have the the bravery to keep watching. It was just really, really intense for me. Um, yeah. But I I just have so much admiration for her as a creator, too, to be, like, taking on so many roles at once. Yeah. She's incredible.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, And are you, like, interested in taking on more projects? Like, like how are – like, kind of what are you thinking about um, beyond these? Like, not that you need to take on more projects, but, like – yeah what are you how do you feel
2: well uh i am building a website so i'm hoping to use that to kind of find new opportunities and kind of make more um i don't know what the word for it is more more concrete use of my dramaturgy skills in like a coaching sort of way um I, I have a lot of editing experience too. So I'm trying to maybe do some like resume editing, um, cover letter workshop type stuff uh, or editing for um, just print press um, or online pieces. So I don't know. We'll see. I I'm definitely open to, to more projects because I have a ton of time now, but I, I do want to not overwhelm myself. So I'm thinking more of like individual one-on-one sort of, Dramaturgy consultations, Mm -hmm. like script reading and things like that.
0: Yeah. Um, Is there anything else you want to talk about today?
2: Uh, Well, keep an eye out for the website because hopefully I'll have more to say there um, and good ways to keep in touch. And definitely, you know, feel free to reach out on Instagram. Um, I'm on Facebook too, but as we mentioned before, I am trying not to be on Facebook as much and I'm actually really hard to find because my name is so common. So finding me on Instagram is easier. Um, Yeah. I, I really appreciate uh, you inviting me onto the show. Um, I'm a big fan. So this was really fun for me to talk to you. And I think that's it. I mean, I'm just really happy to be here.
0: Well, I really appreciate you reaching out to me um, and inviting me um, to work with you in public theater. And um, yeah, like that was truly, uh, I don't even, I don't even have the words for it. It was like um, affirming. Um, it was, it just, it just meant a lot. Um, Cause I love that institution and I love shakespeare um and it also is like as far as like taking on too many things um Mm -hmm. over like the past couple of well i've had the podcast for a couple of years and there have been times when it was like more consistent um and then less consistent and then like i think when i started it i thought that some of the things I was doing at the time would fall off like naturally, but then nothing fell off (laughs) like, and then more things started adding on. Um, And then like, like the podcast is like one of those things. And I've talked to a number of other people who host podcasts. It's like one of the most, it, or it can be one of the most rewarding things in and of itself to get to talk to people like you, um, to talk about the process of like making things, but it's also is work. And it's like, sometimes it like, it's like, what's the, like, sometimes it feels like what's the point of all of this. I think with everything you feel like that, yeah. um, but it's really nice to, like for me, it meant a lot because, it's like really to me, like the public theater, like I'm not getting when I say like that, I do consider my Broadway like every show like they- I got my union card on hair, which of oh, course wow. developed at the public theater, yeah. um, and like it's just where like you know a lot like August Wilson, um just so many, so many, Passing Strange, Passing Strange was like the, I saw it on Broadway, but it's like the shows that I've loved most, like on Broadway, um, the shows that I've loved most off Broadway, a lot of them were like at the public theater. And so I think it's really, I don't know. It really meant a lot to like, I was called in for something a year ago at Joe's pub actually. Oh, cool. Um, And um that would have been really cool obviously but like it was really something to have the first like official thing I did with a public theater through this podcast um because another thing is like you know at some point it would be nice to monetize the podcast just so that then like it would free up more time Mm -hmm. um but the point of the podcast isn't monetizing the podcast. Um, So like it was really to me more rewarding than anything to like have something happen like with an institution that I like revere um, through the podcast. So yeah, I just want to say it's a long-winded way of saying thank you. Um, it really did mean a lot,
2: so. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, it was really awesome, you know, to get to work with you on that. And I, I've i been a big, a big public theater fan for a long time, too. And so, you know, being able to work there for a few years has been, like, one of the most incredible experiences. And I really miss it a lot. I hope that I get to go back. You know, I have no idea what the state of things are going to be like or where I'm going to be when, you know, theater comes back in whatever form it comes back in so who knows where where i'll be but you know i i love the public and i really really enjoyed working with you so i'm so glad that like you had a good experience because we all uh, my team too we all loved working on that um uh those content commissioning pieces can often be really complicated to put together and sometimes mm-hmm. difficult to coordinate with everybody. But this one was just so nice to work on. And and you were such a great person to work with. So thank you.
0: <laughs> thank you. And it's like been cool. Like the other big thing about it to me, like right now, um, and kind of where my mindset is, it's hard to remember it all the time. But basically, it's like sort of like everything's a opportunity to learn um everything is like an opportunity to like make new relationships um and yeah so it's like that's you know like because then getting to meet um eric and jessica um that was like really cool um and then there's a couple people from shelter like right around that same time who are like emerging writers this year
2: Um, oh awesome
0: and so it's just I don't know, like, I, like, love letter to New York, like, in the pandemic, even though I know it's, like, scary to be here with so many people when there's a viral pandemic going around, um, I really love, like, the New York art scene, and, like, believe in it, and, like, I'm proud to be in it, and it's, like, it's really cool, like, like, the last year going and seeing shows at different places and it's like knowing people on the stage and in the audience you know and just seeing the community so i'm just excited
2: yeah uh, me too you know i've been here for about i guess i moved here about three years ago so it was a weird time for things to be thrown out of balance for me because i was feeling like i was feeling like i was just starting to get my feet in the in the scene but mm-hmm. um In a weird way, it's kind of reaffirming because the people that I'm working with now, we are, you know, forced into this weird, like, literal box on Zoom to talk to each other. And I know that going through this with them, I have these lifelong collaborators and friends, um, you know, everybody that I've gotten a chance to work with during this time period, I feel like way, like a special sort of connection with. And I feel like once once we can go outside again and go to the theater, I'm going to be, like, so, so happy Uh, and and just feel a lot more at home than I did before.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I feel it's weird because I feel like things are, like, like it's like that. Like, there's, like, new relationships. There's things being developed. Um, So I feel like there's, like, a lot of things happening right now. Um, It's just we won't, normally like you see some fruits of the labor like as things happen and right now it's sort of like it's like the creation like it's like the foundations are being laid and like the art is being developed um so when (laughs) when the doors open I, I I really look forward to it um yeah
2: I'm excited to meet a lot of people in person that I've never met in person (laughs)
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: like it's weird to think we've worked together now and this is the second podcast that we've collaborated on and I've never met you in person
1: yeah and
2: you know I I'm working on two pieces with the same director and I've been working with him for like the past six months and I've never met him in person it's very it's very I'm really excited to meet so many people in person
0: <laughs> yeah there's a bunch of actors where that's the case too like we're like being in classes or like readings Um, some of them maybe I knew in passing but some of them yeah I've gotten to know like via this you know so also I'm super grateful that we have this tech like that this happened we have this technology
2: oh yeah that yeah we're we're very lucky that this didn't happen like five years ago
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um. um well cool um, I'd like to maybe talk to you for a minute um, offline.
2: Yes, um, I have a question for you too, offline, so.
0: Cool, um, and uh, do you have any final parting thoughts?
2: Um, just thank you so much for creating this space and for inviting me in it. I feel really um, lucky to be here.
0: Well, thank you, and it's my pleasure so that was my conversation with emily white i hope you enjoyed that i can't say enough um what it meant to me to have her reach out and collaborate with her in the public theater that was amazing and getting to know and work with emily white herself um, that was super amazing in and of itself and so after we got off we did have a conversation offline and we talked about you know, maybe working together more in the future on on other projects. So one of those projects that we're going to be working together on is, in fact, Six Shooter. Um, It's hard to say that. Six Shooter. Uh, So I'm I'm in the cast of Six Shooter, and the process of recording the radio play was a blast. Um, It was a whole new group of people, multidisciplinary uh, collaborators. Um, So I look forward to getting... Even more involved with the process if I can, and working with Emily more. That whole team is great. I look forward to sharing more um, and maybe the radio play itself, um, kind of recasting the interview and play um, segment that we did with artists we fucks with uh, from the Bauman Center. So, hope you enjoyed that. Um, if you enjoy the Bushwick Variety Show, Please subscribe, rate, review, share. Um, also, you can sh- sign up in the show notes. Uh, there's a newsletter sign-up if you want to hear from me once a month. I just kicked off the first monthly newsletter in January, so you can check that out. So sign up. I won't send it out um, too often. It'll just be once a month for now. Um, love to, to hear from you. You can contact me through that. Um, and if you want to support the podcast even more, we have a Patreon um, search Bushwick Variety Show. The links for that will also be in the show notes, as well as the links for Emily White um, and the Bauman Center's podcast, Artists We Fucks With. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I hope that you know that the the real value, the the real gems that you can find in life, there are these gems like the, the public theater, these iconic institutions But what makes those institutions so valuable is the people. Um, So if you're not in New York, um, if you're not in the Bushwick area, wherever you are, I promise you, whatever it is you're trying to do, if you find the other people that are doing those things, you will find untapped gems. Um, So you just need to reach out and work with them. And and once you start connecting with those people – your people, the people in your tribe, and I mean the tribe of, like, ideas and creating things, once you start connecting with those people, you will find other people. Um, And, yeah, it will just enrich your life in ways I I can't even explain. Um, I know 2020 was a hard year in a lot of ways, but because of the people I got to connect with and meet with and work with, it was magical in a lot of ways. Um, So... If anything, I think the pandemic showed us just how important community is. I promise you, there are valuable people around you that need your input. They need you to work with them. They need you to to see them. So um, we need each other. So I just encourage you to reach out. Like I said, you can always reach out to me. That's what I'm here for. Um, thank you very much for listening. Like I said, I hope you enjoy this podcast. This one uh, meant a lot to me. But they all do. And uh, you're going to hear more amazing stories, people, and ideas coming forward this year, 2021. We're in a new reality, um, but it's always what you make it. So let's make it a good one. Let's make this the best timeline. And I'll I'll stop with the sci-fi stuff for now, but expect more of that. Expect more sci-fi existential philosophical um rantings and ravings for me this year just just warning you fair warning but if you're here for it yeah subscribe rate and share it with somebody else who might be here for it but thank you very much I'm gonna stop <laughs> going on right now um but I love you I hope this year is your best year I hope right now is the best time um and remember it always is it's always the best time to do the thing so Let's go. Talk to you soon. Peace.